In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. He turned to me as if to say, Hurry boy, it's waiting there for you. I'm here with my co-host Jack. Jack, how are you? I'm good, and uh, you'll have probably noticed this is the first time ever we've got a different intro to our show. Ooh. Paul won't know this yet because I haven't told him, but when our guest comes on, you'll know why. It's Toto from Africa. Excellent. Okay, well, we've gone past the 50 mark, so <laughs> let's just change things up. Okay, great. And um, Jack, you've put a lot of effort into uh, making this show happen, so do you want to introduce your guest tonight? So we've got Mark Schofield, and I'm, I'm going to say he's, he's too humble to agree to this point, but uh, I'm going to say he's the best QB mind that isn't employed by an NFL or college team. Um, obviously, as a Browns fan, spent the entire off-season listening to everyone that wanted to say anything about quarterbacks, and no, I, I listened to everyone, and uh, Mark was the best mind I found out there. So how are you doing, Mark? Jack Paul, that was a fantastic introduction. And of course, anytime people use Toto and Africa to, to get me on a show, I'm overjoyed at hearing that. The, the brand is very, very strong. I'm doing fantastic, guys. It's great to be with you. I'm excited to chat with you guys, both of you. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for inviting me on, man. appreciate it. No, thank you. So uh, tell us, um, you, you showed us a prop a bit earlier on. Are you a UK uh, football fan? I am, and one of the props I showed you, I'll hold it up again for those of you watching on News Channel 8, my little uh, Tony Cornell's reference. This is one of my many Newcastle United tops, and this one is straight from Piccadilly Circus. And a, a quick story about this one, this is the original Black and White Stripes, Away the Lads and all. I bought that during the 2008-2009 season. I bought it in April of 2009. I was in London with the family, and I was trying it on in the changing room. And if you remember that season, it's the year that, you know, Cher took over late in the season. They were facing the drop. And the guy working the changing room was like, you know that team is awful, right? And I'm like, I do, but that's my club. I got to support the team. So I bought it, wore it home on the plane, and they got dropped two weeks later when they lost to Aston Villa, one nothing in the final. So, yeah, I'm a Newcastle United fan. Here's another prop. The orange alternate jersey, Johan Kabai. That's an old school for you off from stairs but that doesn't fit me because i put on a little weight but i am a uh, a newcastle united supporter it's been tough we're facing the drop yet again here in the early going and um it's kind of like being a browns fan i think you know you're just Ooh. wondering if they can ever get it turned around yeah there's a similarity there is there is there's there's a similarity in the like questions about ownership let's put it that way because you look at jimmy haslam you look at mike ashley and i think both fan bases would love to see those guys move on and do anything else with their lives than own their current clubs well hang on a bit mark we are a pro jimmy show here so uh, really yeah no we're 50 percent pro hugh 50 percent pro jimmy and i'm neither of them 50 percent so uh 
Okay, no. I understand. I understand. I understand. But no, it, it was great to have your support all the way through the World Cup. Um, I saw regular tweets of it's coming home. It didn't come home, but uh, we did better than we thought we'd I, do. I mean, you know, my dad's side of the family is from England. My, my dad's father was, you know, fought in World War I for the English. I mean, so obviously I've got some home ties, you know, to the, to the island back home. And so, you know, I was pulled for you guys, especially without – you know, U.S. couldn't even qualify. So, I mean, I had to take my loyalties elsewhere. And my other team sort of by, you know, nationality would be Italy because my mom, her family's from the boot, but they didn't make it. So, basically plan C right there. And uh, two quick questions. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I am coming to you live from the Washington, D.C. area. And so, we are going this. We're going transatlantic right now, my friends. And can I confirm, are you a Pats fan? I kind of feel like I'm getting set up here on cross-examination. I mean, I was a lawyer back in the day, and I see what you're doing, Paul. You're setting the stage, and yes, via the accent, and yes, I will admit here under examination, I am a Patriots fan. Please ask your next question, sir. And uh, how does it feel, the Browns, to be <laughs> higher than the Pats at the moment? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Um, it's, um, it's different. It's different. I, I will say that, like, the Browns have – despite their recent struggles, they've been able to deal the Patriots some embarrassing blows. I mean, there was a game, I think it was 2010, where uh, I think it was Colt McCoy was the Browns quarterback, and people were expecting, all oh, the Patriots are just going to roll this game. And Cleveland came out and just kind of embarrassed the Patriots. And so it's not an unfamiliar feeling to sort of feel like, wait a second, the Browns are better than us, and that's where Patriots fans find themselves right now. Are you worried about Mark Sessler's prediction that uh, before the start of the season, he said third week, um, the Browns will be losing to the Jets. Baker Mayfield will come in, turn the ship around and take them to a win, which will then start a 10-year rivalry between Darnold and Mayfield that will also see the Patriots not qualify for the playoffs for 10 years. And uh, it's worrying. It's somewhat unsettling, Jack, because when you see somebody nail a prediction like that, you do have to wonder, okay, is this a back-to-the-future-2 scenario where Sessler's gutting his hands on the sports almanac from the year 2025 and he knows what's coming, and so he's able to come back to us and he's placed his bets at you know Biff Tannen's casino and he knows, okay, this is what's happening, friends. I'm just I'm predicting it now, but really he knows what's happening because it's a bit unsettling. And unsettling is the phrase I've used to describe New England since they lost that Super Bowl. Because it's just from the Gronkowski stuff to the Brady retirement stuff, it just seems like the window might not just be closed and it might be getting slammed shut on all of our fingers. Well, he did also say he'd drink 10,000 litres of bleach if uh, Josh Gordon ended up at the Patriots like the day before it happened. So maybe he doesn't know all the answers, but uh, maybe. Yeah, it is worth keeping an eye on. Um, so let's, let's talk a bit of Browns at, at the moment. What. Who would you like to go for a drink with the Browns organization at the moment? Well, I'm going to split that up into two different answers. I think if I'm picking a player, I'd go either David Njoku or Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, obviously, for obvious reasons. David Njoku, because I got a lot of respect for that guy when he came out and said, look, everybody's out there playing Fortnite, whatever. I play PUBG. I play player underground battlegrounds because that's a more – strategic type game. And that's the game that I play. Everybody else is out there running around on Fortnite. I'm going to say something here that might be a little bit controversial. I think the game's pretty silly. I like PUBG. It's more strategic. You have to communicate with your friends, your squad mates. You have to know where you are, get your bearings. 
you know, stuff like that. I had a ton of respect for Njoku. So I'd love to sit down with him, have a couple of beers and play some PUBG. So David Njoku as a player. From a personnel organizational standpoint, I'd, I would think Todd Haley maybe. I would think Dorsey maybe. But I would just have to sit down with Hugh Jackson and be like, my man, what's it been like the past couple of years? You're going one in 31. Like, seriously, nobody's around. Let's have a couple of beers and just unload on me. Like, what has this experience been like? And then we do like throwing yourself in Lake Erie. Like, come on. You've got to let me know. Let me inside that brain of yours. How has it been? So, David Njoku, from a player perspective, obviously with Baker Mayfield side of, you know, tagging along because he'd be fun. But and Hugh Jackson from an organizational coach standpoint. All right, great. Thanks. Thanks for that, Mark. I think Hugh just needs a big card away. Yeah. Um, poor lad. He, he lost his mum. Was his mum and his sister? Sister. And yeah, with that record, this is the moment where I think he's just going to burst out in tears with all this joy of Mayfield. So a real turn in the, uh, turn in the corner. Um, a brand new question, an exclusive. New question. What film title would you say describes the Brown season so far? The Mayfield Redemption. And <laughs> it goes from the fact that you guys have gone through a 1-15 season, an 0-16 season. You guys have crawled as a fan base, as an organization, through a mile of just you-know-what. You know, just like they, you know, just like they did, um, Tim Robbins' character did at the end of the Shawshank Redemption to, to escape from that prison. And you now see Baker Mayfield at the end of that tunnel, at the end of that experience, and you have your first win in a long time. And so the Mayfield Redemption, that's what I'm going to call it. Excellent. Do you know that it was actually filmed in Ohio? Really? Yeah. I actually, sorry, for, the, for my regular fans, when I went to buy the dog... <laughs> I stopped up in Mansfield in Ohio yes. and I took a picture of the uh, prison. So. I did not know that. I did not know that. In fact. So it was perfect timing to get you on. I thought we'd be talking about potentially the week four and first ever start of Baker Mayfield. Turned out it wasn't the first ever uh, game, as I originally guessed, but it is his first ever start. So take us through the process. Baker, pre-draft, what were you thinking? And... Uh, what was your view? The thing with Baker Mayfield, who, you know, in sort of that full disclosure mode, was my quarterback two in this draft after Josh Rosen. And it wasn't that I didn't like Mayfield. It was just that I liked Rosen a little bit more. And, you know, people sometimes say, oh, well, you didn't have this guy ranked number one. You must not have liked him. No, it's just I liked the other guy a little bit more. I mean, say with, you know, I had Goff one and one to two. I loved Carson once. I still do. And it's just I liked Goff a little bit more. And with Baker, that stood out. And this is part of the evolution of my own process, in a sense, Jack, in evaluating quarterbacks, was that when I studied Deshaun Watson a year prior, I saw the competitive toughness in him, a guy willing to put his body on the line, a guy that refused to lose. And that's part of the reason I had Watson number one in that class, and then Mahomes behind him. You look at Baker Mayfield, that's a guy that doesn't just refuse to lose. That's a guy that wants to, I mean, I've, I've used this phrase so many times before, wants to cut your throat and watch you die if you're playing against him. That's how he approaches everything. And it's not just games, it's practice. You go down to Mobile, you watch him at the Senior Bowl, and every throw he's making, not even in the 11 on 11 situations, not even in skeleton where it's seven versus seven, sometimes just throw it routes versus air. He's approaching it like it's the national championship game. He's approaching it like it's the Super Bowl. He's looking off imaginary defenders. He's furious with himself if he misses one. He is such a competitively tough person. 
and he has that chip on his shoulder and you know he will always be a walk-on in his mind he will always be angry at every other team that didn't trade up to draft him and he's probably harboring some resentment that the browns waited so long to draft him when they got onto the clock and they didn't call him immediately because that's the kind of person he is and he sounds insane he may be a little bit insane. He saves screenshots of articles. He's probably got some of mine saved on his phone to motivate him. But the thing is, guys, sometimes the greatest ones are the most insane. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Wade Gretzky, they all have that sort of insane nature to them, that ultra-competitive nature where it doesn't matter what you're playing. It could be the Super Bowl. It could be Game 7 of the NBA Finals. It could be just throwing pieces of paper into a trash can in the locker room. They wanted to win no matter what it was, and Mayfield has that. And that's what stands out with him. And you saw it not at the, just at the Senior Bowl when I get to see it in person. You saw it at his pro day, and Hugh Jackson talked about it, the team – Oklahoma just reacts differently when he just walks into the room. You saw it Thursday night when he took into the huddle from the stadium to the sidelines to the huddle itself. The team just responds to him. Everywhere he goes, he is, as Jackson termed him, the Pied Piper. And that's a huge part of playing the position of quarterback. That's a huge part of being a leader on the field and off. And Mayfield has that. And that's that sort of it factor that take all the stuff aside about making throws and anticipation that we're going to get in into means just as much if not more to a team than the you know making throws and things like that yeah I think for me after just that first half I looked at the game and it was like we're gonna win this and it wasn't even like I think we're gonna win this I was just sat there convinced to myself if I was a better man I would have happily stuck money on but I was just like no we've got this and I even though the score was 14-3 it was like I had no thought process in my head was like, no, no, this, this is done. So obviously the debate was over, should he have started earlier? If he had have started earlier, would we be three and oh now? Um, what sort of, I don't know, every quarterback's different. What sort of your opinion on should these young quarterbacks start? Should they not? Obviously you had, um, uh, who's the Mahomes? Cause Alex Smith was ripping it up. Uh, you had, um, lots of people bring up Rogers, obviously, Brett Favre was ripping it up. So there was some different options out there, but obviously Manning went in and had a stinker. Some of his, was it the insane amount of interceptions? So what was sort of your view on, should he have started? Should we wait? I mean, I, I was of the mind with Mayfield that he was somebody that could play as early as week one. And I understand why, you know, Hugh Jackson and the organization wanted to take a little bit of a slower approach with him because, you know, with some rookie quarterbacks, especially coming from a more spread air type offense, you know, there is going to be an adjustment period. And, you know, I thought the acquisition of Tyrod Taylor was a smart move because it buys you time with whatever quarterback they ended up drafting at one, whether it was Baker, who they ended up drafting, or Donald, or Allen, or whomever, you know, it gave them a sort of glide path to turning the keys over. And so you don't want to ruin rookie quarterbacks. You don't want to rush them onto the field. And the last thing you want to do is have a situation where a guy starts making a ton of mistakes and he's, you know, losing his confidence. And so I understand why they took the approach they did. I'm not sure if Cleveland would have been 3-0, and maybe. Maybe not, but it's more important that when you draft a guy number one overall, you know, the short term is important. The long term is what's more important because you want that guy to be here for the next 10 years. You don't want him to bust. And so you want to, you know, build to the moment when you can turn him into the starting lineup. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was a smart decision to sort of ease him in. I think he might have been successful, but you never know. And so the way they handled it, I'm okay with it. You know, you now you're sitting here with one win, one tie, one loss, and it's probably 
better than most Browns fans thought this team would have been. And now he has this little mini buy to get himself ready to start his first NFL game. I think all things considered, it's a pretty good situation all around. Where's the future then? Um, obviously, it's too early to make uh, Hall of Fame predictions or not, but uh, what do you think the future looks like for Baker this year? Obviously, the defence is incredible um, that we've seen through three games. Um, for me, I was shocked at how quick they came together. I told everyone, I was like, this defence is going to be good, but it's a lot of new pieces coming together in the secondary. You've got to give them half a season for it will come together. And uh, the last time I remember a... Uh, Young rookie QB starting early and uh, with a top 10 defense was uh, Russell Wilson and he went to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, Jack, in the sense that you look around the rest of the AFC North and there are some teams with weaknesses. I mean, whether it's Baltimore, whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's Pittsburgh and how they've started and the turmoil they're going through, you could make the case that with this defense, and now with the insertion of Baker Mayfield and how this team seems to have responded to him, this is a team that not only is going to win a bunch of games, you know, more than people expected, that could make a run, you know, at a division title. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Now, that being said, look, we've got basically a little more than a half of Baker Mayfield to work from. And it's against a Jets team, which is a young, inexperienced, but talented team that, you know, they've got some similar weaknesses on their, on their roster. And so – you know, let's sort of wait and see and take a little bit more of a wait and see approach. But I think the future in the short term looks pretty good. I think the future of the near to long term looks even better, obviously, because, you know, you'll see teams adjust to what Baker does. But given the sort of way teams are moving offensively from a schematic standpoint, I think Baker fits the NFL for the next 10 years more than some other quarterbacks that are in the league right now and some other quarterbacks that, you know, were drafted with him. And so I think the future looks very bright for Cleveland, you know, given what he brings to an offense. Yeah, as someone that sort of reads a lot of the work, um, you pump out from yourself or other people about how the game's moving to a short, quicker passing game, obviously something Brady has gone and really delved deep into. Can you talk more on that, how Baker's play style is very much suited to a, a short, quick passing game? I know he can make the deep balls, but... Right, right. And, you know, what, what's sort of important to remember is that you know, we are seeing the beginning, I think, of this sort of paradigm shift in offensive philosophy where, you know, in years past, like whether it was the West Coast offense where you are doing sort of quick stuff or even more the, you know, Eric Coriel downfield stuff, it wasn't as spread out. And we're seeing more and more of the influx of the air raid system, the spread type systems that we see a lot in college. And part of that is just sort of the natural progression of time. We're getting now coaches into the NFL that grew up you know, playing in these types of offenses and then coaching in these types of offenses. And now they're head coaches. And so you're seeing guys like Sean McVay come in. You're seeing guys like Lincoln Riley being bandied about as the next potential head coach of maybe the Dallas Cowboys, maybe the Cleveland Browns. Uh, because the kids that have run these systems as quarterbacks themselves and have coached it, they believe in it. They know that if you spread teams out, if you spread defenses out, if you make them defend you silent to silent, you get quick athletes on all levels of the field it's going to be hard to defend. And for the longest time, people thought about quarterbacks, well, it's great that they're throwing to wide open people in the NFL, in the college game, but they're never going to see open windows like that in the pro game. They're never going to see guys running wide open. And so they try to take these spread quarterbacks, these air raid QBs, and jam them into NFL offenses. 
now people are starting to realize we don't have to do that. We can do what the college people do because this stuff can work. I mean, look at Mahomes and what he's doing in Kansas City this year. It's because, you know, they're doing the things that you're seeing in the college game. And so I think because of that, you're going to see more quarterbacks like Mahomes, like Baker Mayfield, with these air raid sped type backgrounds be successful because you're going to get that influx of, you know, talent moving its way through the NFL. I mean, to the NFL from the high school game to college game and into the pros that believe in these systems and so more and more of these quarterbacks are going to come into the league running these systems and get to run them in the nfl so lincoln riley name dropped in the middle of that. do you think he could make the move end of this season he's it's the one i want but uh, i don't watch that much college until the end of the season could he make the jump end of this year straight to the browns i it's possible i mean we do need to sort of remember that for a lot of these college programs I mean, you look at, you know, if it's, if it's a, an offensive coordinator type guy, like a power, a group of five type school, then like maybe, okay, you'd probably rather go to the pros. But for bigger programs like Oklahoma, you know, like, you know, take any other big program like Notre Dame or, you know, USC, Ohio State, you know, being a college coach probably is better than being an NFL coach. I mean, you've got you know, complete autonomy. You can do whatever you want. I mean, Nick Saban probably doesn't want to ever leave Alabama because he is the state of Alabama. I mean, you look at Alabama, it's like, forget senators, forget governors. It's Nick Saban who runs that state. And Lincoln Riley is probably in a similar spot at Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma football is the state of Oklahoma. Now, that being said, I'm sure at some level of his mind, he's thinking, I can do this in the NFL. I mean, imagine being the coach that delivers Super Bowl to Cleveland. I mean, that's tough to pass up. And so for a guy like Riley, it's interesting because Oklahoma football, it's a local powerhouse, but they probably have going to make the leap to, you know, be a national title type team. And the thought of bringing the title to Cleveland must be enticing. So I think it's possible. Um, but a lot of these big time programs, you know, it's tough to want to give that up. Um, sort of. It's not just Baker. There is a lot of talent on this Browns offense. And we're going to focus on offense because I know you prefer talking offense than defense. Um, what's sort of your opinion on some of the pieces? Your David Njoku, your um, Duke Johnson, your Landry, um, Callaway. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, Jack and Paul, what we're seeing, and you know, I said this when they drafted Njoku, we're seeing the start of the process to get more athletic on the offensive side of the football. You look at Callaway, you look at Njoku, you look at Johnson, you know, you look at the addition of Landry who was missed as a, you know, air, you know, as a shallow cross and route specialist in Miami's offense when he's more of a vertical downfield threat. You saw when Miami let him go downfield, he was a much more effective receiver. They're trying to get the athletes around whoever's going to be quarterback to run the more spread, attack you at all levels of the field type of offense that we've seen from Kansas City and others. And so I love the pieces of what they've put around Mayfield. I think if you're looking at this from a fantasy perspective, you want to get yourself some David Njoku shares because the thing about him with Mayfield as opposed to Tyrod Taylor is Mayfield doesn't care about throwing to the middle of the field. He doesn't, he doesn't scare him at all. Nothing scares that kid. Whereas Tyrod Taylor, he's a more boundary. I got to see it come open. It's to throw a type of thing. So Njoku was kind of frozen out of that offense. But now with Baker Mayfield in the game, 
completely different story. And once you start attacking that middle of the field, you might see a lot more cover one. You might see a lot more like condensed in the middle of the field. And that frees up guys like Callaway and Jarvis Landry on the outside. So I think having Mayfield's ability to throw the middle of the field routes, to work Najoku as part of the passing game, that's only going to help this offense open up even more. Uh, my uh, dynasty team has Baker Mayfield, Callaway, Chubb, Njoku, and the Browns defense on it. So, uh, no, I've got a lot. Uh, I think you're in pretty good shape. I'm not really touching them in seasonal leagues. Um, I've picked up sort of Njoku uh, if well, this drops after waivers. So, yeah, I'll put in a claim this week. I don't think grab him. But, uh, no, very much from a dynasty perspective, I'm stashing lots of young Browns talent. Jack, what have I told you? Don't let your emotions get involved in fantasy football. Oh, I'm not. The Browns' D is going to be here for a long time. Because the best thing is, they're all at really early contracts. So, with the salary cap position, we can keep the likes of Garrett around for a while. And Hogan Joby, Ward. So, uh, no, the pieces are there. Mitchell's tied down for a long deal. It's, uh, it's quite good. Uh, Mark, what do you think the, uh, the prediction will be for the total Browns' wins uh, this season now? I mean, I, I think you sort of have to change the calculus. I, correct me if I'm wrong. The over-under was, what, four and a half on wins preseason? I think it ended up five was and a half. Five and a half. Okay, because either way, yeah, either way, I already went over on it. I was looking at this as like a six-win type team. Now with the early switch to Mayfield, you, you get the win on Thursday night. I think you could see this team win seven, maybe eight. And, you know, if you would have told Browns fans, you know, back in, you know, February, March, April, look, I know it looks bleak right now, friends, but you're looking at a potential 8-8 eight eight team next year. I think you guys would have taken that in a heartbeat. And now sitting here right now at 1-1-1, one, 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 maybe you think 8-8 eight eight is a bit of an, you know, underwhelming. You know, maybe you'd be a little bit disappointed with that. But to think of where this team came from, to go 8-8, eight and eight, you know, I think that, or I mean, excuse me, maybe 7-8-1 or 8-7-1. I think that would be a pretty impressive turnaround. And so I think that's doable. You know, it's just a matter of getting it done. But I, I certainly think that could be achieved. No, I, I definitely flipped from my 5-11 uh, and 11 early season prediction to straight after the Baker game. It's 8-7-1. and one. And, uh, and some just dark prediction of 7-7-2, seven, seven and two, um, which, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? If it happens, it's going to be a prediction of the year. Happy new, yeah. Mark, are you ready for the exciting part of the show where we bring the bingo question generator? I'm I, I very excited for this part of the show, Paul. I saw some of these questions. I'm very intrigued by them. Last week, I didn't shut the lid, so uh, Jack's making sure I do so. so this is amazing. Uh, here we go. And Jack, what's the first ball? Number 72, so I'm just going to take the bottom one. Browns uh, players with the most interceptions. Oh, that's a tough call. Um, hmm. I'm going to go Denzel Ward. And, and what's interesting about Ward is you saw, you know, obviously, a lot of people sort of rip the pick a little bit. Um, you know, you could have done something else there. You could have gone in a different direction. But this is a passive league. And you need athletic shutdown type corners. You need to prevent teams from scoring. You need somebody that can go out there and lock down the other team's number one option. And so far, I think he's shown that he can do that. And, you know, he's already getting himself on the board. So we'll go Denzel Ward there. Okay, excellent. You ready, Jack? Here we go. Number eight. Uh, how many sacks will Garrett get this season? Ooh, um, how many sacks does he have right now? Hold on, let me check. Three, I think three. He's got three. Ooh. 
Okay. Um, we'll go 12. We'll take that. That'll, that'll be a yeah. good result for him. It's going to be I, split. I so. Yeah, I mean, it's all if he stays healthy. Mark, are you a big fan of Garrett? I am, you know, and, you know, the thing about getting a guy like Miles Garrett is it's similar to the Denzel Ward pick in that, you know, the, the most valuable piece of land, real estate on a football field is the pocket. You need guys that can throw from it, you need guys that can protect it, and you need guys that can attack it. And Miles Garrett does that, and he gives you the ability to sort of come off the edge, disrupt pockets, disrupt the quarterback's time and the rhythm. Even if he doesn't get there, he can still get the quarterback off the spot. When you see quarterbacks have to set, reset, set themselves again and throw. You can see accuracy drop. Garrett can disrupt pockets even if he doesn't get home, and that's so valuable to a defense. Uh, I think if we can – we've got Ogbo, we've got Garrett, we've got Ogan Joby now who's made a – he was awesome last season but just didn't get the snaps. If we can add that final pass rushing defensive tackle alongside him, that is going to be a scary line coming at you because you've got to dodge that line and then you've got to throw into coverage that is Ward, Mitchell, Randall – um, and others in there is uh, that there's not a weakness which just seems weird to say of every defense should have a weakness um, but it's uh, it's looking positive number two um, we'll go Brown's rookie of the year because it was how many full quarters will Mayfield play but uh, I think that one should be pretty easy now so Brown's rookie of the year I think you'd have to go Mayfield. I mean, let's, let's face it. Quarterbacks, they get more glory than they probably should. They get more criticism than they probably deserve when a team loses. But, you know, if this team does go 8-7-1 or even 7-8-1, it's going to be a large part because, you know, they got Baker Mayfield taking the snaps for them. And so we'll go Mayfield. All right, excellent. Do you want the honors? So here's our favorite question we always uh, end the show with. A very, very, very hot take for the Browns this season. David Njoku is your Pro Bowl tight end uh, for the AFC. And obviously, the AFC is going to have Travis Kelsey. It's going to have Rob Gronkowski. There are some other good tight ends. Jared Cook, you could throw him in the mix. Um, guys like Jack Doyle. But I think with the addition of Mayfield, David Njoku is going to have a monster season here once we get Mayfield onto the, onto the field with him. And so, you know, between that and – you know, maybe Kelsey and Gronkowski, one or both of them going deep into the playoffs. David Njoku is going to be your AFC tight end in the Pro Bowl. I love that. And it's something we'll see once Baker sort of gets his red zone right. He's got a history of loves throwing at them tight ends. So uh, it, it does make sense no. that he's going to be a massive weapon. So thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Can you let everyone know what your Twitter handle is and where to find you. I think other than my local paper, you've written for everywhere in the world about NFL. So uh, where can people find you? Well, well, Paul, Jack, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been a blast. It was a you know, tremendous honor to chat with you guys um, you know, about the Browns. And it's going to be such a fun team to watch this year. As for me, easiest way to find me is on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. You can check out work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, The Score, and The Score NFL app. I'm Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio and the Locked On Patriots podcast, which I think, Jack, you have described best as a show being about 
Patriots, maybe 30% quarterbacks and 10% Toto. And that's probably a good breakdown of what the show is all about. And so it's not just a Patriots podcast. It's not a Homer Patriots podcast in any sense of the imagination. I mean, after the loss of the Lions, I was basically promoting, you know, spiked seltzer on the air because I needed a couple to get through doing a show about the Patriots and how they performed on Sunday night. And so, you know, it's a fun show, I think, to check out. Jack could attest to that. But guys, again, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd, I'd encourage all fans, even if you're Browns fans, go and make sure you subscribe to it. It's a fantastic podcast because it'll break down the quarterback sweepy, chats a bit of college and everything else. And it's just a show that will make you wiser, gives you loads of uh, articles and things to go read from different people. So, uh, no, I think I had slightly more Toto and slightly less Patriots in my breakdown. But, uh, no, it's uh, a fantastic show and I, I'd encourage everyone to uh, go add it to the list. It's not just because I've got a soft spot for the Patriots. People will know, uh, having the England connection, it was the first team I saw watched when I was younger. And uh, Bill Belichick, roster building style, is something uh, I've got a lot of respect for. Mark, thank you very much for your time. Are you coming to England at all soon? Um, I would love to. I would love to. We've got two little ones, a seven-year-old and a soon-to-be five-year-old. I believe our next big trip will have to be Disney World, probably down in Florida. But, you know, I, I do have to say that, you know, the week I spent in London running around was just a blast. It's, you know, my favorite foreign city in the world um, from the history to all the other stuff, you know, to the multiculturalism, um, Veraswamy um, down in Piccadilly Circus, one of my favorite restaurants in the world. Um, I do love it. So I'd love to get back. And if I do, I'll have to you know, grab a pint with you guys and watch some football. Excellent. Come over, uh, have a beer and I'll, I'll get you a Chelsea ticket. So you're more than happy to come along. And uh, who knows, it might be a Newcastle game that weekend. Oh, I don't know if I could stand for one of those at Stamford Bridge, but I, I'll do it for you, my friend. I'll do it for you. The, the, the uh, Newcastle fans, just like the Browns fans, absolutely the loudest fans out there. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the reason. Every time you see, you know, a, a match at St. James Park and you see the big guys shirtless in the stands when it's freezing and snowy, you know, I kind of get a warm spot for those dudes. Like the guys with the big NUFC tattooed on the belly. I mean, you can find that picture on the internet. It's one of my favorite Newcastle pictures of all time. All right, Mark, thank you so much for your time. And uh, Jack, thank you very much for getting Mark on. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you for joining us and have a good rest of the day.